Open our eyes that we may see. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our hearts and minds that we may understand. So shall we turn to you and be healed. Amen. So last Sunday night, um, I had a lot on my mind and I couldn't sleep. So I got up and I was scrolling through my computer looking for something when I stumbled on the last sermon that I preached at my former church, All Angels. It was on the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels, September 29th, which was our church's feast day, and it's also the anniversary of my ordination. And in that sermon, I was sharing about um, this journey that had led me to the point of being sent out from All Angels with this whole crew of folks who joined me to come to St. Peter's to help revitalize it. And in that sermon, I told this story that I had just completely forgotten about. So a year earlier, in the fall of 2018, in that same week of September 29th, I was discerning whether or not God was calling me to plant a church as part of this larger vision of what God is doing in our diocese of New York around church planting and revitalization. So I'd gone to London to visit this church called Holy Trinity Brompton, and they have planted and revitalized um, just a, a bunch of churches across London, actually across England at this point, um, so many of them over the past uh, 25 years. And being there, was it was kind of like visiting the future where um, you, know, you see these old buildings that had been closed um, or on the verge of closing, like fully restored, just beautiful, full of life, full of people, sending out teams um, from their churches to then go ahead and once again plant new churches from their church and reaching out to this, their city with the, the love and the healing of Jesus. And while I was there, they were talking about how these churches that were empty, how they looked like palaces of long dead kings, and how in this vision for church planting, they were proclaiming the good news that their king was not dead, but alive. It was just so inspiring for me to see that, and it showed me that truly nothing is impossible with God. And so I'd just gotten that week before going to London this tattoo that many of you have seen before. I don't know if you can see it here. It's of angel wings on my arm. Just as a reminder to me that even though I often feel so weak and inadequate, that the hosts of heaven were with me and that God has called me to be a divine warrior. And on one of my final days there in London, um, they had a time of prayer ministry. And one of their prayer ministers came up to me and, you know, I've never met him before. And he just said, you know, when I saw you, the word warrior came into my mind. And I felt like God was saying or wants to say to you that like Joshua, he has made you for battle. And he has already given you the city. So be strong and courageous because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that moment was really instrumental in preparing me for my call that eventually came to come to St. Peter's. So I'd forgotten about this story, and reading it again on Sunday just brought tears to my eyes because so much has happened since then. I mean, so much has happened since we arrived a year ago that I would have never dreamed would have happened. And what seemed so impossible um, years ago seems so much more impossible 
during a time of pandemic. I mean, many of you know how significant the story of Ezekiel 37 has been for me about the Valley of Dry Bones and the Lord taking Ezekiel to this Valley of Dry Bones and telling him to prophesy to those bones and to tell them to live. And then Ezekiel saw the impossible happen, these bones coming to life. When I was training for the New York City Marathon last year, I would run by all these Episcopal churches in our city, particularly the ones who were struggling or closed. And I would put my hand on the gate or on the wall of those churches, and I would pray Ezekiel 37 over them, just thinking about those churches in London that were so full of life, and just praying that God would do that here in our own city, in our time. So last Sunday, as I'm reading my old sermon and being reminded of this story, just this question emerged from within me. And that was, Lord, what is the city that you are giving to me? And will I ever see it with my own eyes? Have you ever had a vision or a dream or a hope that you longed for? I'm assuming yes, because it's a very human thing to have dreams and visions and hopes. In our Deuteronomy reading today, we have the story about Moses' last few moments of life. And here Moses is, he's sitting on this mountainside with the Lord, and the Lord tells him that he can see the promised land, but he can't enter into it. This promised land and the people of Israel finally entering into it as a liberated people was the vision and the dream and the hope that Moses had poured out his blood, sweat, and tears for the past 40 years. Not about you, but you know, I'd always heard this story growing up in Sunday school, and I knew that like vaguely it had something to do with, with Moses like striking the rock in the wilderness instead of speaking to it as the Lord had commanded him to do. And I never really gave the story much thought, um, other than thinking that I felt like it was unnecessarily harsh punishment for what seemed to be a pretty simple act. But now, as I read this as a leader with my own visions and dreams and hopes, it feels downright cruel. To read the story is hard because it brings up a painful possibility that I too, um, as Ruth Hilly Barton puts it, could work hard and serve long, straining towards some goal or dream, and that God might someday say to me, you can look, but you can't go in. You may long for it, but someone else will take it across the finish line. You may be the one who saw it, but someone else will take it the rest of the way. For anyone who has dreamed dreams and seen visions, this possibility is almost too much to bear. What's funny to me about this story is that Moses doesn't say anything in response. I mean, scripture is full of Moses's conversations with God. He argues with God, he debates with God, he pleads with God, he intercedes before God, he cries out to God many, many times. And if I were Moses, I would have said, how could you, after all that I have done for you and this people, after all of the pain and the suffering that I have gone through, after all of my faithfulness these 40 years, that's what I would have said to the Lord. But scripture records none of that. 
All it says is, then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. I mean, how can that be? How can it be that Moses didn't say anything, but he just died and transitioned into the Lord's presence? Well, I think we can find a clue in this phrase. It's three words in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 24, where it says, Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Face to face. And scripture takes note of this numerous times. In other places, it says that the Lord spoke with Moses as a man speaks with his friend, face to face. And in Hebrew, that word for face essentially means a person's presence. We recognize people by their faces, right? And so their face is the essential reality of their personal, pref- their personal presence. So remember from our Exodus reading last week from chapter 33 about Moses seeing the glory of God. And after the Israelites had sinned um, against God with the golden calf and this whole endeavor of the Exodus uh, was about to be lost, Moses, true to form, intercedes for them. And he cries out and he says, do not send us up from here unless your presence goes with us. Because Moses knew that God's presence made all the difference. And then the Lord changes his mind and he assures Moses that indeed his presence would go with them and that his favor was with them. And then it says that Moses says to God, now, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. He's saying, let me see and know in the deepest part of who I am, the reality of your presence with me. I think the reason why we don't hear this big argument or pleading or debate in this moment on the mountaintop, it's because that at this point in Moses' long journey and relationship with the Lord after these 40 years, that for Moses, the presence of God was the promised land. This last leg of his journey was was yet another instance of how he learned to live in every circumstance, no matter how hard it was, face to face with God. And whether it was his heart pounding as he's running away from Pharaoh's army, or whether he's tasked with the responsibility of feeding the people of Israel and having no idea where food is gonna come from, whether he's dealing with conflict or opposition or mutiny from the people of Israel and sometimes even his own family, that the presence of God with him in the midst of it all had become the thing that his heart longed for more than anything else. And last Sunday, reading my old sermon, and when I asked the Lord, what is the city that you are giving me, and will I ever see it? I felt the Lord say, the city is my presence, the place where I dwell. In Hebrews 11, um, the author lists out all these great heroes of the faith, like Noah and Moses and Abraham. And it says of them in verse 13, all of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. 
As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. I can't talk about this passage without making reference to Dr. Martin Luther King's famous speech on the night before he was assassinated, talking about this very story. If you remember, he had survived a knife attack, and the x-rays had shown that the blade had come so close to his aorta that if he had sneezed, he would have died. And in that speech, he talked about the many reasons that he was glad that he had not sneezed. You know, some of the strides that the civil rights movement had made up to that point, even though there was still a long way to go. And then he said, I don't know what will happen to me now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just wanna do God's will. And he allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It's not that the promised land doesn't matter or that the city doesn't matter. These are dreams and visions that we have from God. You know, whatever it is that that promised land or that city is for you, that it's very likely a worthy vision. And living face to face with God does not mean that we suddenly become just passive or we hide our heads in the sand. Instead, what it does is that it enables us to live with a new freedom and a new courage because we know what matters most that the presence of God is with us no matter what happens, and that we can entrust our visions to the Lord even if we never see the fulfillment of it with our own eyes. Being face to face with God and seeing his glory helps us to put things into perspective and helps us to humbly see our small place in the grand scheme of God making all things new in Christ. I'll end with this prayer that was written by Bishop Ken Untuner in memory of Oscar Romero, who was the Archbishop of San Salvador, martyred for his own unspoken advocacy for the poor. And this is what he writes. It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, 
and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Amen.